Now, this is a test. This is a test. I said something Sunday, and I know every one of you remember every single word that I said on Sunday, But I said there are three things that determine the meaning of a biblical passage. What are those three things? Anybody? There are three things. Debbie knows. Debbie knows. Okay, Debbie? I said that what determines the meaning of a passage is context, context, and context. Okay? And we won't be careful when we read our Bibles, when we study our Bibles, when we hear a preacher preach the Bible or a teacher teach the Bible. Are they getting at the correct meaning, the, the meaning that God desired to communicate, uh, that the author actually put on paper. So as you begin to study a book of the Bible, uh, you can begin by asking yourself some questions. Well, who wrote it? Well, here we have a pretty clear indicator of who wrote the book, because right there in verse 1, uh, we see uh, the author identified. Okay? And it tells us a little bit about when this uh, particular uh, author lived. He lived after the days of his ancestor Hezekiah, who's listed as a king of, uh, of Judah, and that he lived in the days of Josiah. Now, does anybody know anything about King Josiah? <laughs> I see one head nodding. Okay, what do you know about King Josiah? He was one of the rare good kings that Israel had, and the uh, book of the law was found under his reign. Okay, that, that is correct. And down here in the outline, uh, you will see that I reference uh, the two books of the Bible that tell us the story of King Josiah, both, both 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. We'll get at that in just a minute. But Josiah is noted for the fact that the Word of God, which whatever it means for it to be lost, it had been lost. Okay? It, it was certainly not being upheld in the land. They found it. Josiah was deeply convicted of his sins, the sins of the nation, and there was repentance and a revival that followed that changed uh, that nation. Uh, unfortunately, that nation, Judah, did not stay uh, changed. The interesting thing about Zephaniah is it's fairly harsh in its indictment. So most people that read the book and, and study the Old Testament would say that Zephaniah probably wrote this very short book, three chapters, very early in the reign of Josiah before the revival kind of took hold uh, within uh, the nation. Now this revival did not last long. Uh, again, it's, it's not but just a few decades before God passes judgment uh, on Judah, uh, upon Jerusalem, and they, he sends them into what's called the Babylonian uh, captivity. We'll talk more about some of that in, in, just, uh, in just a moment. So, we know who the writer is. We know just a little bit about kind of what was going on. Uh, who did he write the book to? Now, one of the, the worst mistakes that you can make 
is in a kind of an uncritical way say that everything in the Bible is, is to me and about me. Okay? And, and you can make some very bad mistakes trying to understand how the Bible applies uh, to you. And so uh, the audience was the nation of Judah who were living in rebellion against God. And its purpose, like all of the prophets, which you should have heard this before, what was the purpose of the prophets? Okay, we're, let's see, there's four major projects, uh, prophets, correct? Twelve minor prophets. So y'all have done, what, 13, 12, 13 prophets? So what was the pur purpose of prophet? Somebody surely knows. To speak God's word. Don't make me answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah don't, don't make me give you the answer. Now, let me tell you, you know, I'm a former professional educator. That means I was a school teacher, okay? <laughs> And there was a motto. If nothing is learned, nothing has been taught. Now, I don't know who, who was standing up here teaching. They sure did have a big head. I had to adjust this microphone in a pretty major league. But does anybody know what the purpose of prophets was? Lydia, I think I saw you kind of. What? The purpose of the prophet is to spread God's message. To spread God's message, okay. Any, anything else? To prophesy. Y'all are making me look bad. <laughs> Not that he needs any help, okay? <laughs> okay. The purpose of the prophet, and we can say it a number of ways. Lydia was correct. They were to proclaim the word of God, okay? Uh, you could say that they were sent to call the nation to repentance, okay? You could say that God called, sent them to remind them of God's faithfulness and to call them to covenantal faithfulness, to call them back to life uh, as they had obligated themselves to live under the old covenant, under the law of God. So they had a particular purpose to call a particular people uh, to turn from their sin and to begin to serve God. And so as we read a book, I, I put down some cautions there. Like I say, it's not about you, first and foremost. One of the questions to ask yourself, particularly in reading your Old Testament, is where is Jesus promised, predicted, uh, foreshadowed in, in, in symbolic way, illustrated in, in the life of uh, some of the characters in, in the Old Testament? Uh, let me give you just a couple of examples. How many of you remember the story of Joseph sent down into Egypt? Okay? Well, there's a sense where Joseph... Died. He didn't, but he, he died. He descended to Egypt and he ascended to save his brothers. Who does that sound like? Jesus. Jesus, right. Joseph foreshadows Jesus Christ himself. When, when Abraham was prepared to sacrifice Isaac on the altar and there was a ram that, that was uh, got his horns hung in the, the bushes and that was uh, providing the, the, the sacrifice in place of Isaac. Who did the lamb or the ram symbolize? Jesus. Good guess. Good guess. Very good. That's good. But yeah, it foreshadowed again the ultimate sacrifice that would atone for sin. And that ram substituted 
for Isaac as Jesus was our substitute on the cross. So, where's Jesus in what you're reading? Uh, don't, don't misinterpret Old Testament promises, okay? Uh, classic place, Jeremiah 29, uh, verses 1 through 14. God is speaking to the nation not long after Zephaniah's life, okay? They're about to go into captivity. That's happening. The Babylonians are going to destroy Jerusalem, okay? They're going to take the Jews and they're going to take them to Babylon. And God says, I know the plans I have for you uh, to give you a future and to have hope. And He goes on and says all of these things. Now what specifically is He talking about? That you're not going to die in Babylon. The nation is not going to die in Babylon. Now certainly hundreds of thousands of people probably died in, in Babylon during that 70 years. But that, that was not going to be the end of that nation. Why did God not just do away with the Jews? People. Because that was the line through whom he had promised to send his son, Jesus Christ. They were preserved for the sake of Jesus Christ coming into the world. So, for example, let me give you kind of uh, how many how many of you heard the story of Daniel a few weeks back? Okay? What in the first chapter it says Daniel told uh, the people that were watching over him that he was not going to eat from the king's table the king's food. Y'all remember that? Okay. And in the last few years, have any of you ever heard of the Daniel diet? Okay. And it may be a great diet. I'm not, I'm, I mean, it may be fine. I don't know what it involves. But let me assure you of this. The purpose of Daniel 1.8 is not to instruct you as to how to lose weight. Okay? You can be sure of that. Okay? Now again, you know, it may be a great diet, it may not be a great diet. I don't know, I haven't tried it. Maybe I should. But a little later in the book of Daniel, his three friends, they're going to be thrown into the fire furnace. What, how do they respond to the king? You, you, you can do whatever you want. Okay? Our God can deliver us. But what? Even if you don't. Even if you don't. Now, we have to look at that story. Does that mean if we are threatened that God is always going to deliver us physically in this life? No. But it means He's still God even if He chooses to allow the suffering to run its course in, in our lives. And so again, we have to be careful interpreting uh, the Bible. Now, back in the book of Zephaniah, verse 1, it says, The Word of the Lord... That's a phrase that you'll see 200 times in the Old Testament. The Word of the Lord. The Word of the Lord. The Word of the Lord. You'll sometimes hear me re refer to the Bible as inspired, inerrant, and infallible. Okay? That means that it's literally God-breathed. That it, it's just God's Word to us. Okay? That it is inerrant. That means there's no errors in it. And it's infallible. Whatever it says, it's going to happen. It's done. Whatever God says is true, is true. Okay? And so, when the, this phrase, the Word of the Lord is used, essentially, these prophets were living Bibles. Okay? When they spoke under the filling of God's Spirit, under the inspiration of God's Spirit. So they were speaking the very words of God to the people, calling them 
uh, to uh, repentance. And so uh, that, that's kind of a major phrase and theme you'll see throughout the Old Testament. Now, what, what types of Old Testament prophetic books do we have? What's the two categories? Real quickly. The first four are what's called major prophets. Why are they called major prophets? Because they're more important? No, why? They're longer. They're longer books. That's why they call them major prophets. Very simple. Okay, there's 12 of what other kinds of prophets? Minor. Very good. And again, it doesn't mean what they were saying was of less importance. It simply means that the books uh, were shorter. And so the, these prophets, they spoke for God, they represented uh, God, and there we, we see in the Bible the writing prophets, such as Zephaniah, or Jeremiah, or Daniel, Ezekiel, or Isaiah, what, all of these. But we also see mentioned occasionally people that are identified as prophets, but we have nothing uh, written from them. Namely, somebody like Elijah, Elisha, Nathan the prophet to David, and there are many others that we could name. And so there were lots of prophets functioning uh, in the Old Testament era. Some were false prophets. You know, they, had a, they had a real problem with false prophets even uh, in that day. And so these prophets, they indicted the nation for their sin. Okay? They reminded the nation of God's warnings. In 2 Kings 17, as the judgment has come on the northern kingdom of Israel, the, <clears throat> it reads, Turn from evil and keep my statutes in accordance with all the law that I've commanded your fathers, and that I sent to you my servants, the prophets. So what, what is the writer of 2 Kings saying? The nation had no excuse that I sent my prophets to you to warn you. And so they reminded people of God's warnings and they reminded them of the covenant that they had made. As Moses comes to the end of, of what we call the book of Deuteronomy, he kind of goes through two categories. He says, if you'll live this way, God will bless you. And he outlines, this is, what, this is what living in obedience to God is going to look like. And he says, if you choose to disobey God, this is what God is going to do, and this is what your life is going to be like. So essentially, you have before you a choice between being blessed by God through obedience or being destroyed through your disobedience. And so it was right there before him. It goes all the way back to the, to the covenant at Mount Sinai. And so the nation of Israel or as we're dealing with now, what we call the southern kingdom of Judah, they had no excuse because God spelled out for them, this is how you're to live. They failed to live that way. God said, if you don't live in obedience, I will punish you. So the prophets are reminding the people that you need to repent, you need to live in accordance with the covenant. God told you, if you fail to obey, there would be punishment for that rebellion. So that's how kind of that's kind of the package of how it all uh, worked together. They also promised that it should they repent, that God would restore, God would bless, God would heal the nation. 
The prophets also warned God's enemies. Because yes, indeed, God was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and uh, <coughs> Jacob. But God is the God of the whole world. And so the prophets would often speak to uh, the nations and say, listen, for the way you're treating my people Israel, I'm going to destroy you. And he says that to the nations such as Edom, the Moabites, and other Philistines surrounding uh, nations. And so God promises deliverance uh, from the enemies of His uh, people. And these prophets, in a very real way, they foreshadowed Christ because Jesus Christ is the ultimate perfect prophet. So there's a way in which just the prophets look forward to Him by their very uh, presence, but they also spoke in many ways of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, turn if you will. I gave you a sheet of paper that says Bible Timeline at the top. Now, one of the reasons that we get all messed up reading our Bible is we don't have a, we don't have a clue regarding the big story. Okay? It says Bible timeline and it says 4,000 to 10,000 on the next line. Now, so let me ask you a question. In the course of history, who lived first? Noah or Abraham? Who came first? Abraham. Who came first? Noah or Abraham? Abraham. Abraham came first. Noah. Noah came first. Okay, how many of you think Noah came first? How many of you think Abraham came first? Oh, you chickened out. The bunch of you said Abraham. <laughs> but I can remember when I was your age. Now, I'm not the age of those in the back. Okay, I haven't made it to their age yet. Yes, you are. But, but, I, yes. I, but I remember being your age. And it was just a big deal. Well, what, what happened first? Who, who lived before this guy? What was going on? I was just always confused about it because you know you just kind of bounce around in the Bible and you don't read it consistently. So let's look just at a really, really simple, quick timeline. Now, I put down creation, and I don't want to get into a huge debate about it. This is this is my view. Uh, there are other people that see it differently. I know if you're in a public school and you're taking geography or biology or whatever, they're going to tell you the earth is billions and billions of years old and blah, 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 blah. I do not believe that. Okay? I do not believe that's what the Bible teaches. Okay? And there are ways that people try to reconcile it. I haven't found a way that I agree with that does reconcile it. I can tell you this, that when Moses wrote Genesis and he wrote about the creation, his intent was not to communicate that God worked in creation over the course of billions of years. Okay? That is not what he was trying to communicate. That may be, real, may be the deal as to the way it happened. And God can straighten me out and turn it. But that is not the way the book of Genesis is written. Okay? So I'm going to stick with the book and not a bunch of atheist scientists that have a vested interest in proving that there is no God. Okay? So let's just pick a... a 8,000 B.C. creation. Soon after that, we have Noah's flood, the Tower of Babel. And about 2,000 B.C., we're starting to get into some dates we can kind of be fairly confident about. Now, these are just, I mean, you may pick up a book, and they may say Abraham lived at 2,100 B.C., something like that. 
But Abraham lived about 2,000 years before Jesus. Okay? His grandson Joseph went into Egypt around 1885 and his family came and they remained in Egypt for about 400 years. And so the Exodus occurred around 1445 B.C. Okay? You know what I'm talking about? The Exodus. Part of the Red Sea. 40 years of wandering. You see it accounted uh, for there. And then you see the period of the Judges. Okay? After the Exodus and the occupation of the uh, of the Palestine, uh, you see the period of the Judges, which was about 400 years as well. That's where you get Gideon and all these uh, Samson. I mean, you get some really cool stories in, in, in the Bible. Okay, Gideon. All of those come uh, from uh, the the era of the Judges. Okay. Then at 1050, you have the first king Saul, uh, followed by David. And then by David's son Solomon. Now here's something that I think will help. After the death of Solomon, the nation of Israel splits in two. Okay? Splits in two between uh, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Okay? And uh, the northern kingdom is what is kind of the area of Samaria. Okay? And the southern kingdom is Judah. Okay? And so the, the kingdoms uh, split up, and it's really because of the foolishness of Rehoboam, Solomon's son. Uh, not totally, uh, but uh, they want him to, the nation, the people want him to uh, not be as harsh with them, not be as oppressive with his taxes. And he said, listen, if you thought my dad was tough, you just wait until I get home. I'll show you. And so the nation splits, okay? So sometimes you'll hear me talk about the divided kingdom. Well, the kingdom of Israel divides into the southern and the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom known as Israel. Southern kingdom, Judah. And then the, the northern kingdom is destroyed by Assyria in 722. Okay? So they're gone. They, they've never come back. And then in 586, this southern kingdom, the nation of Judah, is destroyed by Babylon. And God sends that nation into exile in Babylon for 70 years. Okay? So we're, we're talking, what we're talking about in Zephaniah is long after the divided kingdom, long after the northern kingdom has fallen, and we're looking at the time probably around 50 or 60 years or so prior to the fall of Jerusalem to the nation of Babylon in which the, the city will be destroyed and the leading citizens, including Daniel, his three friends and others are taken uh, to Babylon. And God has warned them. God has warned them. This is coming. This is coming. God has specifically said, 70 years, I'm going to send you into captivity. And the nation never repented. And they have as an object lesson the northern kingdom. That God did that to them already. So it's not like God's playing around. Okay? He's already done this. And so he does it, but he preserves people through this discipline. Okay? Again, why? Well, because he had promised to do that. He had made a covenant with them. And they're going to be the people from which the Lord Jesus will come. And so you see there uh, from 586 to 516 there's 70 years of captivity in Babylon. You see several returns there toward the bottom of the page. 
where people start coming back to Jerusalem and they start rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the walls of the city. And then after that, now one of my problems, and when I look at the Bible and, and the prophets speak of a great and glorious age to come, it, it certainly wasn't the restoration. That was more of a just, we're barely hanging on. Okay? And, and so it wasn't a glorious return. They were thankful to be back. And one thing historians tell us, that both Israel and Judah were given to idolatry for centuries. And the Babylon, Babylonian captivity cured. There was not really idolatry in Judah after the Babylonian captivity. That, that resolved it. They weren't, they weren't serving God. But they, they didn't have idols near like they did in previous centuries. And so you hear, you hear me talk about, we, in the study of Acts, we talk about Hellenized Jews. I've used that term. Well, Hellenization is, the prop, is, is Greek culture permeated. That came from Alexander in uh, 330 BC. He conquered kind of an old world. And then the Romans come in about 63 BC. And then we see what? 4 BC, Jesus Christ was born. About 30 AD, Jesus was crucified. And so that's a very, very rough timeline that helps you put some things in order. Now, some of these other papers that I gave you, uh, there's one that shows you kind of the order of the prophetic books. It's got a, kind of a yellow and a blue stripe there. And you can see the order that these books are written. So, look there in verse 7. You see the warning 
that after God has accomplished his purpose and judgment, for at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord from beyond the people, from the rivers of the Cush, my worshippers, the daughters of the daughter of my first one, shall bring my offering. On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have prevailed against me. For then I will move from your midst, your proudly exalted ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mouth. So God's people are ultimately going to be a repentant people. And here's the question. Listen to me. I mentioned the captivity. Zephaniah is one. The other part, Jeremiah is one. Isaiah has one. Daniel has one. Ezekiel has one. Micah has one. Of this coming judgment. And as I said, it can. Kind of ended in 586. The nation goes into captivity. And at the end of that 70 years, over another long period of time, about 75 years, the nation is allowed to return to Jerusalem. But to be honest with you, it ain't much. I mean, it's, I mean they're, they're glad to be back. But it's not a glorious, prosperous thing. And, and, and the lofty speech of uh, the prophets, at that time I will change the speech of the people to a pure speech. That probably wasn't fulfilled in the restoration. That probably was not fulfilled in the return to the land at the exile. And so I believe I'm 
picture. I believe he's looking forward, looking forward to the fulfillment of the new covenant, of the new people of God on the other side of the cross. He's looking at the church as the people among whom God dwells. So if you ask the question, where's the temple of God? Well, the temple of God is the church of the living God, the people among whom God has covenanted. He's promised to, to bless and dwell among. And so he's looking forward uh, to the days in which we live now and, and beyond, I, I believe. So that's kind of Zephaniah. It is uh, a difficult book. It's a difficult book in terms of the terror that, that promised. Uh, God brought terrible judgments upon His people for their rebellion. And I, I, maybe a, one other application might, might be this. That if you went back and surveyed the judgments God has brought upon the world, the flood, upon the, the, flood, uh, the, the curses on, on Egypt, uh, the various uh, destruction of the various nations that have oppressed uh, Judah and Israel. All of those judgments will pale in comparison to the eternal judgment that God will bring upon all who refuse to repent and believe the gospel. So all of God's judgment in some way foreshadows His ultimate judgment. And it is the consummate warning to all people in all places and all times that you should repent. So let's pray and we'll stop there. Thank you all. Father, we thank you for your goodness, for your grace, for your truth. I pray, God, that uh, you would work powerfully among us, that we would hear uh, your truth. Uh, God, that your people uh, would be a people... Uh, that please you. Uh, we would be a people that are a repentant people and a people that long to know the power of your presence in our midst. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.